0: Hey everybody, since we are either starting a new series or reading a standalone book, I am jumping in to remind you what the rules are for this podcast. First rule is no real people stories. That means that any details from our own lives are merely anecdotal, and we are not reading any books that depict real people as their characters in any way or are based on historical events. Second rule is that we are judging everything off of how the author treats characters and what they put them through. We are not judging the accuracy of the trauma, the accuracy of any actual conditions that may be portrayed, or the authenticity of a character's reaction to that trauma or that particular condition. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts are not trained professionals, and their opinions come from personal experience, not professional training. In this episode, we discuss fictional depictions of trauma and violence that may not be suitable for all listeners, so please take care of yourselves. Specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the show notes. Events in the media are discussed in approximate order of escalation. This episode contains spoilers. In Sabriel, the first installment of the Old Kingdom, Sabriel is confronted with the end of her childhood and the full magnitude of her role as Aborsen, the one who keeps the dead down, searching for her father and discovering her place in the world as she is hunted by new and old enemies alike.
1: Hi, I'm Nicole. And I'm Robin. And today we are discussing Sabriel by Garth Nix, book one of the Old Kingdom series.
0: Okay, so our factions for this book we have sabriel our main character we have touchstone who is also our minor character spotlight we have mogget the cat for now uh we have the old abortion, who is sabriel's dad uh we have the army at the perimeter between the old kingdom and how do you say that Anselsteer. Anselsteer. okay uh, and then we have the teachers and students at Sabriel's College, which is Waverly College.
1: So, our minor character. Super huh? Super quick factions thing. Yes. Uh, Sabriel's dad, uh, who she thought his name was Aborson. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When I was a kid and I read the books, I thought his name was Emeritus because Mogget, when he needs to distinguish, calls him Aborson Emeritus. Oh. It was on rereading this book and being an adult who knew what emeritus meant. Oh my gosh! Was uh, when I realized that that was not his name. Can you give and, a brief definition for emeritus? Just for any listener uh, that doesn't emeritus know, emeritus <laughs> is um, basically it's it's Latin for something that probably means the former. Um, oh yeah, that's how it is used. Uh, In English. Uh, Yeah, emeritus is the former holder of an office. And the reason I now know it is because you'll have a professor emeritus. It's, you know, someone who's retired, could teach a class if they want, and the college still calls them a professor, even though they don't necessarily teach there anymore.
0: So, yeah,
1: Moggett was trying to say, like, hey... (laughs)
0: he's not dead and if he's
1: not dead he's not coming back to his job yeah yeah. so it's a way of being respectful and not stripping a title while still indicating that you're not currently filling the position okay
0: yeah cool um yeah I also I don't remember what I thought his name was when I was a kid I do remember thinking that I, actually no I think I just thought we never learned his name
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely thought, oh, good, his name is Emeritus. (laughs) Except I thought it was Emeritus. Like, yeah.
0: Yeah. So our minor
1: fun thing in case anyone else still thought his name was Emeritus.
0: (laughs) Or thought he was nameless like me.
1: (laughs) I mean, we don't get his name. It's not Emeritus. We do. Well. No, no, we don't. That's the whole thing. We never find out what his name is. We just have his title, and then we have no longer holding title. He's only ever referred to as Aborsin or Aborsin Emeritus. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I will. Which I think is part of the point. Yeah. His identity is book. being the Aborsin, and so it's pointing Sabriel toward that being her yeah. whole identity. So, minor, minor thing. Um. So for our minor character spotlight, we are going to discuss Touchstone, who was uh, preserved as a wooden figurine uh, at the front of a ship for 200 years. And before that, he was the half-brother of Ragir, the prince, who is the one who broke the kingdom and got everybody killing people more like they were all necromancer always necromancers but Rogier are ushered in a new era of terribleness
0: yeah and and specifically with our spotlight we're not actually focusing as much on the 200 year slippage right um, because that is a big deal and it definitely affects touchstone but um we don't get as much of touchstone's reaction to that as we do to Ragir's betrayal and the trauma that he suffered right before he fell into that sleep. Ragir was the was the prince, left, came back, and then brought I believe it was indicated all currently living members of the royal family, including Touchstone, down where the great Charter stones were and was planning on breaking every single one of the great stones by sacrificing a family member on each stone. He only broke yep. two. Um, But Touchstone, part of this trauma with Touchstone is that he was instrumental in getting the other people to go down to the reservoir. Like, Rogier was right. his best friend and comes to him and says, hey, help me. Like, I've got this cool thing down there. And I just I want to show everybody and help me convince my mom, the queen and my sister to go down with us because the queen didn't want to go.
1: She- it was just convincing the queen. I thought the sisters were already down there, which is why two stones were broken already. Oh, Unless okay. they had so many sisters, but at least the, the two <laughs> stones that were broken, it was broken with the sisters. As they got down there, yeah, the stones were broken, which means they weren't the ones walking with the queen.
0: Yes, but he he needed the queen, I think, for yes. the to, to get all the stones, and and Touchstone was the reason that the queen went because he right. he, he backed Roger up, Roger up, uh, even you know without knowing what it was because he trusted it. He was his best friend. He was his half brother. He was the prince, and yeah. He he didn't see anything suspicious in that. So then, as they got down to the reservoir, they saw a couple of Ragir's undead servants um cracking a stone <laughs> with yeah. his sister's his sister's blood. Like they saw it happen. And then Touchstone lost a lot of the memory there and then woke up two hundred years later with this trauma and the fact that he in, he was an instigator in it. He was an accomplice to it. Um, fresh in his head, that was the that was the fresh memory in his head.
1: Like um, even with his his name, his name yeah. is as we're Oof. told it's a fool's name. Uh, Mogget names him Touchstone. Yeah, and like, he starts yeah. to protest and says, "Oh, that's you know that's a jester's name. That's a fool's name." And Mogget's basically like. But you were a massive idiot, so don't you think it's appropriate?
0: <laughs> yeah, like, uh, sounds about right. Problem? <laughs>
1: um, and this is the first hint that something more, that he was like more than just a victim in some way. Yeah. Because we have that, we learn that before we get his backstory.
0: Yep. Um, and, and there's a lot of very stereotypically, and I say stereotypically on purpose, PTSD type representation of his memories of this and his reaction to them. Um, we get a literal description of the first time he goes down to show Sabriel the reservoir. He, he, he freezes. He has a panic attack at the top of the stairs, um, mm-hmm. and not because of the broken Charter stones, although that is also traumatic for them in, in a different way. Um, And not because of the undead, because this is a point where, like, there's undead literally everywhere. Like, them freezing and holding still is more dangerous than going down to that reservoir in the moment. Um, But he, he has a panic attack because he flashes back to the last time he walked down those steps, he was unwittingly leading the queen to her death he was and i don't remember do we know if the queen or the or the king was his parent
1: um i, I didn't get the impression know. that a king was still in the picture so probably, so i think roger was older and yeah. the queen didn't marry touchstone's father
0: okay so then he's literally he, the, he flashes back to leading his mother to her death yeah um and then there's a, there's a couple other moments because they had to go destroy Ragir's body, or that was the plan anyway. Um, and it was on the other side of the wall, um, outside the Old Kingdom. And they go and they get the body. And again, like getting close to this, the source of his magic, there's, there's other reasons why that's a difficult thing emotionally, or physically, or magically for people to do. But again, there's a couple of moments where Touchstone just just freezes. He just can't. Yeah. And and Sabriel has to be kind of like, hey, hey, come on, I need you. (laughs) are you all right? Are we doing okay? And then he kind of snaps out of it. But like he very much flashes back to that multiple times um, when confronted with anything that 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 reminds him or relates to that that moment when he, he led the queen down and, and then saw his sister killed. Okay, so moving on to our main character, Sabriel. Um, the first topic that we're going to talk about with Sabriel is her first experience with a the physicality and the actual moment of a human death. Um, Sabriel, so it's important to note here Sabriel's been training to be an abortion. Her dad has been training her her whole life. She has a, an intimate familiarity with death and its river and its, its, its gates, and, um, and she hasn't gone through all of them, but she's, I think she states in the book that she'd gone up through the Fifth Precinct
1: um yeah like at some point she says how many and then also like there's this bit where she lists she's like i banished a mordecant when i was this age yeah you know, i closed the final page of the book of the dead a year ago i don't feel young anymore
0: yeah like she's this is not like death itself and and what happens after you die those are things that like are there's they're even not even weird to her anymore like it's just death
1: and what came after was no mystery for sabriel she wished it was
0: yes um, and then, obviously, she's familiar with, with life and people that are alive. Um, and there is a moment in the, the very, literally the beginning of the book, um, where her friends, or one of the younger students, I don't know if they're actually friends, but one of the younger yeah. students, her, uh, her bunny rabbit got out and, got, and died. I think it got hit by a car,
1: maybe? I think... Yeah, because it was on the road, so Yeah.
0: Um and Sabriel steps into death, grabs the bunny spirit, and sticks yeah, it back in the bunny. Over. And it's the bunny is good to go now. Um
1: Yeah, the fir- the first lines in the book are the rabbit had been run over minutes before. Okay. It's yeah. After the after the prologue, that is the first thing.
0: <laughs> so like, we see, like, our first introduction to Sabriel as a character is her stepping into death and grabbing a bunny and putting it back in its body so it's alive again. Um, yeah. But then, later on, after she's back in the Old Kingdom and trying to find her father and figure out what is even going on here and survive and not, you know, get found by the things pursuing her and stuff like that... Um, she finds a, a charter mark on a... I think it's on a... It's a bridge. It's on a it's on the post of the bridge. That's what I, I... was trying to remember if it was a fence post or a bridge post. Um, and the way, like, message charter marks work in this universe, you can touch it and hear the whole message, essentially. Um, so she does that. And this is these soldiers... It's their dying moments where they're trying to leave some information for anyone who can find it and hear it and listen to it. And at the very, very end of the message, the soldier dies right before the message ends. And that, that moment of that death, um, that was the first time Sabriel had ever experienced a human death like, the moment of a human death herself.
1: And even then, it's a little bit removed because it was, like, the message of it. This um, is true. Yeah, but, like, it's kind of, Oh, I, I point that out mostly because it's, like, it slowly escalates throughout the book. Yeah. Because first she has the message recording the moment of someone's death, and then a bunch of people die, but they're not, like, nearby when um, it's the... When and she's at abortion's house.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh um, yeah,
1: a bunch of people dying in the river. So it's like it's a bunch of them, but they're not they're not not super close. And then it's the guy um, where that dead thing was riding him. Yes, and it just uses him up and shucks him. Yeah. So I it feels like an a very it's a gentle escalation on a, <laughs> on, a on a on a rough subject. Yeah, but it it feels it feels like a pretty natural build up so it's not like oh we're going to have a death in like a most death death way ever but but it does have it does have a pretty natural build of like we got a recording of someone dying then we have that death. a death <laughs> then we have then we have like some deaths um and then we have someone dying like Right in front of her, and then her having to fight the dead thing that killed him, and then we have like the the climax at the end with um. Briefly mentioning mm-hmm. that it, it builds up to we're gonna our next segment we'll be talking more about the death of Sabril's father, mm-hmm. but it it kind of as this escalation it builds up to, um, asterail her having to fight to not fall into death and also feeling her father pass yeah and i think it's a very well done escalation where it, it kind of goes from like i've got this <laughs> i've been in death a bunch i've banished <laughs> all this these this naivete <laughs> i am i am hot shit like i can do all this stuff I don't feel young anymore. Oh, I've never actually felt a person die. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness! All these people are dying in the river, and I can't do anything. I've got to stay here, and then yeah, I couldn't save this guy.
0: And she talks too about mm-hmm. um about feeling the shock of it. That is, that's actually a consistent yeah a consistent thing throughout in general all the books, and I, I don't think we'll.
1: Touch on this again. She's not getting so. numbed, but no. she is definitely getting acclimatized. Oh yeah, you 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 definitely get acclimated to it. Um, acclimated. If you that's can it. Feel yeah. it. <laughs> uh, acclimatized isn't a word. I don't know why I went for that. Yeah, getting acclimated <laughs> to death in a more visceral way. Mm-hmm. Because she was totally a student of death.
0: Oh yeah. One. Um, but there's there's this there's a very uh, consistent descriptor throughout all the books of the first time or the first couple times that someone who has this death sense feels that moment of death. It is a shock. Yeah. It's, it is shocking and it is, it's all they can think about for a second because they, they just felt it and it was, it it is traumatic. Um, Yeah. And, and I think that, and it's, it is, it's one of those things where, We'll get to this in our reading also, but um, it's a very necessary trauma
1: Um, for the story to happen. Well,
0: for Sabriel in general, like, yeah, it it is something that would happen because she can sense
1: death. The only way to not the only way to get around it is to have it be that if if it hadn't been the first time. Oh, yeah. First time didn't have to take place in this book, but the book couldn't happen
0: that is true without
1: this happening a lot
0: but everyone who can sense death mm-hmm. will have this moment where they experience it for the first time and um but also she definitely does get acclimated to it And by the end of the book like she's very aware still when people are dying um
1: but it's not distracting anymore right by the end of the book, she's killing people.
0: Yeah, she is causing that that death. Um, so our last topic is the death of Sabriel's father. Um, and this is a weird one in this story, because when we start the book, he's already dead.
1: He's already in death. Let's make that distinction. I mean... I, I would argue he's already dead. Okay. Well, I think the, because the when, book has a lot of ambiguity about that. I mean, the oh. book
0: does, but not when she finds him at the end. True. And, yeah, and, and I, would argue, I would argue that the book has less ambiguity, that Sabriel is fighting for
1: ambiguity. Okay. Because everybody else is like, you know, he's dead, right? Yeah, but everybody else he, is he like, sent, hey, he gave you the, he bell you the bells. and the sword. Of the
0: sword. <laughs> like... He he sent yeah. you his his only instruments that matter. He's not coming back, and she doesn't accept that. Um, which is actually why we're talking about this being as traumatic as it is, and why we've listed this after her experience of a human death. Um, right. She starts out the book getting his bells and his sword, and then and and she she doesn't believe it. She doesn't believe that he's dead. She she's firmly completely certain that uh he's trapped somewhere and that she can free him and she can find him and he'll be alive and all she has to do is find his body and
1: it'll be all okay in the end and then when she's not really thinking about if he's trapped enough
0: no but she's just thinking like i'll just i'll get him back it'll all be fine
1: oh sure sure
0: um she might she doesn't say the word trap but there's this definite feel of like no i'll go rescue him it's it's all right. Bad. All my dad But
1: again. If he had his if he had his sword and his bells to be able to send them to her, if he were yeah. gonna be fine, he would have been able to get out and she just doesn't see that at all. Yeah. Um and then
0: there's a there's a moment where she has to she has to talk to the perimeter guard, the army. Um mm-hmm. And her father colonel had fastened,
1: huh? Colonel Hoyce.
0: Yes, Colonel Hoyce. Uh, oh,
1: because it sounds like horse.
0: <laughs> um, her father had fashioned wind flutes that keep the dead down, and there's a lot of dead in that spot that to be kept to be kept down. Um, mm-hmm. And Sabriel's talking to the colonel um, Colonel to the colonel and... I learned that word by reading it. Sorry.
1: we um, can later have a separate debate about the interesting etymology of that and the, the split between how you say it and how it's written. It's it's great. Okay. Uh, but, That's fair. Uh, so she had a, the, the,
0: the, so she was talking to the colonel and he desperately needed her to tell him when the wind flutes would die because they would, because her father had crafted them. She was going to have to craft new ones eventually. Mm-hmm. And... She hedges her answer so much because maybe, according to her, if he's dead, then they'll fall at the next full moon. Or if he's really not and it's all okay and I save him and he comes back, then maybe I won't have to make any more and maybe you'll all be fine. And the first time around when she's talking to the colonel, she does not want to give a solid answer on that because giving a real answer would be admitting... That her father might not come back and and then we move on and then she finds Mogget at the house and Mogget straight straight up tells her in multiple multiple statements that if he sent the bells and the sword he's not coming back and also that Mogget is experienced enough and old enough and tied to the abortions enough that he knows that her father is not coming back and Sabriel's like well you're wrong and I don't even know who you are anyway and I'll save him you'll see and Mock is just kind of like okay (laughs) sure but yeah um and even after that she really just does not she does not accept that he might be dead until she actually does find his body Go into death. Find his what is his trapped spirit. His spirit is trapped. Release him, and then he he has to be the one to tell her, "Hey, no, I'm definitely dead. I can come back for a hundred hundred heartbeats, and when those heartbeats end, I'm gone forever." And he forbids her yeah. from trying to bring him back by any other means.
1: It's like I'm doing this on my own terms, and then I'll die. Yeah. Because my last lesson to you is that everything and anyone has everyone has a time to die.
0: Yeah.
1: And boy, what a way to drive home that lesson. Oh, buddy. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, but she
0: you know, if you, and I'm not I'm not advocating for the seven stages of grief that are kind of outdated and Subjective, a little bit, but if you want to, you know. But
1: that there are stages. There
0: are stages, but she gets firmly stuck in the denial stage for the oh, majority totally. of this book.
1: Mm hmm. Um, Whether or not you think of it as a stage, she is yeah, in she denial. is in denial um, and cannot let go. And the only person she believes that he's dead is him. <laughs> Which, Which,
0: thankfully, for the book is possible. possible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like,
0: oh, good. Well, it's good that she could talk to him in here. Um, And then I think there's a moment after that where she almost gives up because she couldn't save him. And that's not her fault, but that's not what grief is about. (laughs) Right. Right. not what the trauma of this is about it doesn't matter that it wasn't her fault that she couldn't save him that there was nothing to save um but she she almost gives up and basically starts to despair and says well you know i couldn't even rescue my father how did how can i rescue everybody i couldn't even save the one person that mattered the most to me so why should i even try And then Touchstone kind of pulls her out of that and basically said, no, let's do it together. We'll make, we'll make a better future and we'll find things to care about. And it'll be okay. And yeah, that works. Um, but she, she definitely didn't just, she spent the whole book just not processing and not dealing and refusing to face it. And so then when it, when she was kind of confronted literally with her her father's death, um, she almost just breaks down and is done and it's and there's a very um, there's a very kind of an odd uh, comparison there with our second topic Um, with her slow acclimation into feeling humans die in real time because she doesn't like she she experiences those those human deaths and over the course of the book like we like we stated, um, she gets kind of acclimated to it and so it's, it's something she's never not aware of but it's not crippling. But she spends the whole book denying a particular death. And so then, right. when she finally confronts it, it's too much. She she spent no time acclimating. She spent no time adjusting. She spent no time processing, and it it was overwhelming at the end. Yeah.
1: Any more thoughts
0: on that one? Uh, no. I I I, I think these books are pretty. I I
1: really. Yeah, this one's really straightforward. I really like... I like how it's handled. Um, mm-hmm. Because... Uh, it's like... You know, any way she could have reacted to this is totally fine. Mm-hmm. But she... There's a really good balance between... It's it, f- it feels like her refusing to process is purposeful. It's more than just, we've got to get on with the story. And it's... She needs their to be a story so that she doesn't have to deal with this. Yeah.
0: Very much so.
1: That this is so big that it's like she goes through all this stuff that any other time would be pretty terrible because it's like at the end of this I'm gonna save my dad. At the end of this everything's gonna be fine and there's this very like Innocent feeling of if I can just rescue him, then everything will go back to normal. Now she never she never says it. She never says it with that naivete, but she hints it, it for sure. Yeah, and yeah. it's because it, it kind of goes from oh I gotta rescue my dad to oh no, oh no the whole kingdom. This is the whole kingdom. The whole kingdom is like this. Yeah, these stones are broken. It's like she. Yeah, she goes from, because her father's kind of the MacGuffin, so it's like <laughs> it goes from, I've got to go rescue the MacGuffin to, oh no, there's a big saga. We're gonna need more books, like, <laughs> in, yeah, in this in this really good way. And if you're gonna have a MacGuffin, like having it as a distractor for. Building the background that makes the following books feel useful and necessary and like they build on something good is nice. Uh, I think that feels like it's drifting into wrap-up territory, so let's end this segment. But I think I really like the role that her search for her father plays because she's not one-track mind, but she's got this goal. Yeah, yeah. She, she has this very, very clear goal, and she's slightly... Adju- like, she adjusts her path, but not her expectations. Until, like, the last third, when she's slowly inching towards accepting. Okay, m- maybe he won't be back. And then it's it's like, ah, maybe... No, he will. No. Okay, no, he'll I'll, I'll definitely save him. See, look, there he is in a diamond. He's gonna be fine. And then... He's in a diamond of protection. Like, oh yeah, he'll be fine. But yeah, I just, I really like how him having to tell her I'm not coming back. Yeah. Um, it just works so well. Sorry if that was a little, little rambly. I just, I... I'm sorry. It's a good MacGuffin. It is. Alright, let's get to our wrap-up. So... Our first thing is the Gratuity Rating for each of our topics. So for, Ra- for uh, Touchstone and the Betrayal by Ra Gear, that is backstory. <laughs> and yeah. then the PTSD is somewhere between mild and moderate. I think it's more on the mild side. Yeah. In terms of how it is depicted. Again, this is, this is how it is depicted in the story, not how bad it is implicitly or explicitly for the character. Yes. So with that, we don't, it's more like you get like the shape of it without, we're not delving in, like he's not talking about how it's affecting him in his head. He's not talking about it. It's more Sabriel seeing, um kind of what it does and it feels a step removed yeah um, other people see him freeze but we don't get turmoil from his brain right we don't we don't get a litany of thoughts we don't get we don't get something that unless someone has a very low trigger threshold we don't have something that feels like it would be triggering um just from reading the description, it's 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 recognizable but mild. Uh or it's backstory.
0: Yeah. Um, um Sabral experiencing human death.
1: Oh, that's moderate building up to severe. Yes. so her father died and just like that. Well, I just keep coming back to that <laughs> moment, that moment with like Astrail. That was very severe.
0: definitely severe.
1: It it's so powerful, but it's it's powerful, but then in, yeah, in terms of the trauma depiction like it is, it is severe. Um, but just uh it's such it's such a good narrative moment. Yes. I would say that it is. It is severe and detailed because it's magical. It's probably not going to <laughs> be traumatic to read. Probably, uh, you might get some feels. Yeah, lots of feelings. I, um, I, I don't know. I, I suppose I haven't had a parent die. If you've had a parent die, this passage is going to be rough. It's going to be real rough.
0: I would um, argue if you've had a parent die, the book is rough in general.
1: Yeah. Because if, if, it, yeah. it
0: starts with him.
1: <laughs> you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say, given if you've, I'm going to go ahead and say, if you have, if you've like, if you've been around, because I have n- I I have not been around a lot of death. I, at this point, still have never been to a funeral. I'm going to go to the first memorial I've ever been to tomorrow. Oh. Uh, don't know how that's gonna be like i i have never been to a funeral so i should not weigh in on whether this is uh traumatic for someone who has a lot more presence of death in their life because i i just don't depending on how i decided to count it i could claim eight grandparents like i just <laughs> yeah um i mean you you can too but but yeah it's it's very far away for me, um, so I'm going to go ahead and say severe, and take care of yourselves. Yeah, uh, but it's it, but it's a very very powerful passage. Um, it's very very well written. Super well written. Um, so Our... then, yeah, leading. Good. So her, her refusing to believe that her father has died, I think. Uh, um for her it's i think it'll be it'll be pretty recognizable it'll have a lot of emotional echoes the actual depicting the actual depiction i think is is more mild it's mild but repetitious
0: i yeah i've been kind of debating myself if the repetition kicks it up to moderate but I, mm-hmm. I don't actually think it does because the repetition is just her being optimistic that it'll be fine, right? Um, like if you're it's if not you're taking what she says, that he's dead. It's repetition that she's like, we're gonna go get him, um, and that's about yeah. It. That's about all that happens there.
1: Yeah. So it's it's def yeah. I think it's it's definitely mild. Yeah. Like you're you're saying the repetition is oh everything's gonna be fine. So if you believe Sabriel. <sighs>
0: It yeah. doesn't
1: even feel like it's going to be traumatic, and then you get a gut punch. So yeah. it's mild until it is severe.
0: Yes. Okay, so moving on to why this trauma. um, With Touchstone, this is the setup for the whole book.
1: Right, it's totally integral.
0: Yeah, I don't think it could have been replaced by anything else. There wouldn't really have I been... Can- I, I don't know of anything else that would have made sense.
1: It could have been replaced with something equivalently terrible, but I mean, not, really not because, in a way that would make the story better.
0: Well, I mean, it wouldn't make the story make sense. Yeah. Because the whole point of this, the, the whole story hint, the whole kingdom story hinges on what Touchstone did and what it caused. And I don't. You could
1: change. You could change how many people died. You could change how closely Touchstone was related to them. Could you But though? other than... Uh, they could have been brothers other than sisters. Like,
0: there's just like... I mean, but super- that's not changing the trauma. That's just changing what the that's characters. That's true. That's true. I it's, don't it's, think it's, you can change that at all. I, I don't think there's anything yeah. about the trauma that could have been replaced in a way that would have kept the story the way it was.
1: Yeah, so integral, it is not interchangeable and it's very, very relevant. Incredibly relevant. Um, uh, her experiencing the moment of death, um, I don't think it's necessarily integral to the plot that the first time she felt it happened within the book. Yeah, it doesn't have to happen um,
0: on camera, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would argue but that f- her being aware of those things is integral to the plot. And I think that, like... I think I think it's not even something that we can really argue with this one if it's interchangeable or or irrelevant. I think that it would it's either a book have to talk about going into death. Yeah. Like It would I be think, a totally
1: different book if he did something else.
0: I think that, that seeing that moment again like quote unquote on film, um might not have had to happen in the book, but you really can't replace it with anything and it's definitely relevant. So it's yeah. weird because technically we didn't have to see it but it had to happen.
1: So it's not integral, but if you're gonna have something you can't really have a different thing? I'm just, so, I'm gonna say it's integral because Okay.
0: We can we can argue about the semantics of whether or not it had to be on or off camera, but it had to happen.
1: Right. And if she's gonna be in death sometime has to be the first time. Right, exactly. Could have been backstory could have been depicted right but that doesn't but change the have fact have that it yeah that doesn't change it in happening um yeah nice. the death of her father he is the macguffin so it is very <laughs> integral to the plot well
0: more than that um, more than that if he was still alive
1: the book wouldn't happen there'd be no story yeah at all <laughs> yeah. um and you can tell a different story in this location with these characters, but that's what the <laughs> other four books are for.
0: <laughs> yes, um, and, and and also I think her refusal to deal with it is also integral to the story. Like I think every part of that, um, she wouldn't have gone and made the places it's, that she did, and made the decisions that she did if she had accepted it outright. She would have made different decisions.
1: It's such a long trek, too. Yeah. But that opti- that optimism for 90% of the book is mm-hmm. really important, because you don't want 90% of the book to be impending doom, and then the last 10% to be a kick in the face. Yeah. It no, you be need a very that different book. discussion there. Yes. Because, yeah. Because the whole book is, I know you think, I know you're trying to be happy, all this other stuff is terrible and it's just gradually building how much stuff is terrible until that last final oh this isn't okay either yeah um just speaking in general terms like it's it's important yes that build up yeah um so then whether the trauma is treated with care i'd say not nearly as beautifully as golden compass like it's not it's not callous (laughs) okay
0: okay no we're not comparing books we're looking at one book at a time
1: not comparing books we're not creating a rating system of a lineup we're not doing that um when we have a season i want a lineup we can do that
0: we can totally do a lineup
1: later but not in the moment Um, Yeah. yeah yeah. okay okay so
0: talking about was was the trauma
1: treated with care? Um, I it's think not callous, but it's also not really kid gloves either. It's kind of like, it's 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 not going. It, it's definitely going to bring up a lot of feelings if you've lost someone close or if you've lost a lot of people. I would. Um,
0: I have a question with that though. Yeah. Because I. So this is, this is also something I was kind of thinking of in, as we were recording the rest of this. Um, I don't really know of a way it could have been treated with more care. Because other than literally lying about what was happening,
1: it's... Other than having... Okay, so let's... Like,
0: I think it actually was treated with care. It's just that these specific three topics are, first off not everyday experiences for most people. And I don't mean, I don't mean losing a parent. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, um, specifically the trauma that Touchstone undergoes is not possible. Oh, yes. In real, in our non-magical world, uh, experiencing a death, feeling it happen, because we're not just talking about seeing someone die. We're talking about like a death, Sense that is not a thing that exists in the same way in our world, so it's also not mm-hmm. something that you can gloss over. Going, eh? People know what this is. Like, you can't do that because it's not going to be there then. And that's true. And also, like, other than I would, I would argue even that her father's death was treated with his extreme care. We weren't subject yeah. to her freaking out. We weren't subject to. A lot of build-up trauma ahead of time and also the person she was losing did tell her she was losing him she got she got closure and she got closure on screen we saw her get closure I would argue this was handled with extreme care it's just that the topics are ones where you can't gloss over them without them not really making sense
1: she gets closure and then an explicit decision to continue to live despite everything that's happened.
0: Yes. Um, so yeah, I, I would argue, I would argue it was treated with extreme care. It's just, it, it's hard to yeah. treat something that doesn't exist in our world with care. Because <laughs> eventually you're right. too ambiguous. You're too, you're too, um, yeah. Yeah. You're too ambiguous. I, I would and
1: say. It, you lose it. I would say that, in terms of it being treated with care, this is an instance where the magical analog brings the trauma closer rather than further away. That's fair. And yeah. in that sense, I, I think it mm-hmm. would have been a worse book if it had been treated with more care. But it would be possible to have done so, and I wouldn't want to read that book either.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, you could you could totally have written a book where you just didn't actually talk about it, but that would not have been the same book. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna rate this with enough care. <laughs> yeah. so, so far, we have four categories for this one, where we kind of started out with two when we were first talking about this this podcast. Uh, we have yes, no, not enough, and enough. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and that's fine. Uh, point of yeah. view of our trauma. Touchstone,
1: we actually, we basically, well, we get him and Sabriel. In, in this book, we have uh, a couple of different points of view. The main one is Sabriel. We get a few moments where it's focused, where it's... Um, Kind of not in Touchstone's head, but following Touchstone, not in Mogget's head, but following Mogget. And then we get some moments in the heads of one of the dead. Um, And in terms of feeling people die, we do get the perspective of someone dying. So in terms of that type of trauma being depicted in the book, I feel like it fits in that category even though it is not the perspective of our main character. Oh yeah. I think that absolutely. it uh that that totally fits. So as for the betrayal the betrayal and stuff with Touchstone, we mostly get Sabriel's perspective on Touchstone. We do get touchstone um, a
0: couple of times, even when Sabriel's awake
1: though. a little bit, not as much. We, we get him in the moments that matter, I feel
0: um this is just my opinion, but we we get it we get him when he first wakes up. Right. Uh we get him as they go to the reservoir.
1: Right. And but we get whenever a moment he's when talking
0: Rod he Roger's body.
1: That's true, but whenever whenever he's talking about the betrayal and the backstory, it is not his perspective.
0: That's that's true, but it is his words and also oh, sure. that is sure. I think that that's part of the treating it with care thing where we're not getting things viscerally, we're getting it told as a story, and I think that that's a...
1: I don't think that that's
0: a problem. I think that that's a necessary distance. Oh, no, not a problem. Um, Yeah. And and speaking with the way we've handled point of view in in other things, too, um, Hmm. we... we very much get the victim's Feelings in the aftermath.
1: Right. We get touched. On. So, And then. Looking. But then we also
0: get the perspective of people who care or are incredibly invested in what happened. Mogget was. I don't remember. Did they say he was there? Oh, no, he was. He went with the abortion at yeah. the time and he arrived too late. So, yeah. So, here our perspectives on Touchstone's trauma are Touchstone, the victim. Mogget, who witnessed it. And then Sabriel, who is the person that cares about Touchstone as a person, right? And also the person alive that he cares about in return. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think this is a good. I think it's a good spread, actually, of of people.
1: Oh yeah. Um, and then for experiencing the moment of death, like I said, we have we have Sabriel experiencing someone die and then we also have the perspective of the newly and the long ago dead and what that was like
0: yeah um
1: so we get during we get before during and after kind of from a a mix of perspectives in a pretty good way i don't think we have the perspective of anyone as they die but we definitely have as they die and then that uh Dead creature who had been dead for a very long time, and given how how integral the the world after death is in these books,
0: mm-hmm.
1: getting that creature's perspective. And I say creature because like they don't remember, they don't yeah. remember who they were. They don't remember they don't remember their past other than that they were human. So this this they, very are, they are creatures dead now,
0: even if they right. were human before yeah and, and and again kind of bringing it back to the language that we had used before we basically just get victim perspectives we get sabriel yes. who's experiencing it and we get people who were the victims of whatever it was that killed them um yeah but we're not we're argue... not given like a necromancer feeling death or being happy about it in some way like we don't get perpetrators
1: Oh, that's true. Uh, the only thing I would get say we get perpetrator is we get attempted perpetrator um, with Thrall. But...
0: Yeah, but, but the, he doesn't yeah.
1: succeed. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. We get the perspective of someone dead trying to inflict more death, mm-hmm. and they don't manage to. But we do get their perspective as someone... On both sides of this in a really weird way that's not possible in a lot of other stories. Yes. Um, so that's nice.
0: Um, with Sabriel's dad, we really just get Sabriel.
1: Yeah, we don't get him. Um, that's part of the point.
0: I mean, yeah, but that, that makes sense. Like, yeah. um, and it, and it, and it ties in nicely with, with the, the story, essentially. Yeah. Um Yeah, point of, and, and point of view of the aftermath, we're still on the Sabriel.
1: Yeah, I mean ninety percent of this book is Sabriel's perspective. And then yeah, and this is dipping into other places, tied to her and
0: nobody else.
1: Yeah, yeah. Dipping into other places to enrich the story, but not not diverting for major sections. Mm-hmm. Other books have dual narrators. Other books in this series have dual narrators. This really I wouldn't class as one of them.
0: Right. But it also makes sense as the first book and the one with yeah. the smallest cast of characters.
1: Yes. Um, oh definitely. Yeah. Uh all right, so moving on to first. Nice Things, Aspiring Writer Tip. What do you have for this one?
0: The aspiring writer tip Don't be afraid to create something for your books' world. Um, we had we and and we had some of this with our the other series that we did, but it
1: like feels, don't be afraid to make something dark.
0: No, what? no. What? Um. So both of the books that we both of the series that we've covered so far, the author has created something intrinsic about the, the world that the story exists in. Um, for, the, for his Dark Materials, they created the daemons and also the branching worlds that are on similar timelines but not, not the same at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and the daemons especially felt very, very real in the story's world, mm-hmm. um, and then here, in in this series, um, they've created death and the old kingdom and charter magic and free magic, and they're all connected and they're all related, but none of them feel like like they don't exist in our real world. But none of them are. None of them feel off or wrong or separate or like a, the author just needed something and grabbed it from somewhere. Like they all make sense. They all make sense. Yeah. The characters treat them as they make sense. And they're, they're not extra.
1: And an interesting thing that I would say with all that, there are explicit characters who don't, don't more believe. so in the later books, but there are characters who <sighs> don't treat it seriously and oh, don't yeah. think it makes sense because they're not from that part of the world—they're not from yeah. the old kingdom. They don't work at the border,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and,
0: and that doesn't remote, detract from the in, story in this at book, all. If, if anything, right, and, that makes and, it feel more realistic.
1: Right, and like I mean, the, the we can talk about this more in the later books because it's definitely more of a thing in the later books. Mm-hmm. In this book, we mostly hear about people who aren't up on this.
0: Yeah, but I, w- um, I would say as an aspiring writer tip, like don't be afraid to create something. In the world that either doesn't make sense or doesn't run the way ours does, that, don't let that, don't let it, don't let it be an unrealistic. Mess you up if you like make it rules, and you can make, make cool it, rules make and then follow them to your characters. Then go for it.
1: Make rules and then follow them. Yeah. No gratuitous deus ex machinas, please. <laughs> yeah. They look cool in movies, but they make spend make the rest reading of reading very day. hard. <laughs> make reading very hard. Because I can remember 200 pages ago when something happened that means that there's no way this thing you're doing at the end could happen. <laughs> uh, but yeah, build build cool rules and then follow them. Uh, books that I really hope we can cover in this podcast are. Uh, there's an author who's super. I keep being like, there's an author who's super good at making cool rules and then following them. Eventually we'll get there. Eventually we'll read these books Put and then you will list. all know. You have a list. Oh, I did. Oh, okay. I did. That's on the list. I already told you who it is. Oh. Oh, okay. I just I just feel like I'm going to keep referring to, to Eventu- eventually we're going to cover this author. Um, <laughs> so exciting. It's my favorite author. Anyway. Um, build cool rules and then follow them. This system with death is a really, really cool set of rules that's got enough to get this story going and enough room to play that you can flesh it out over the next several books and that's what he does. Yep. Uh, it's very exciting. It's very a uh, favorite and non-traumatic you can tell he's
0: thought it out. Oh, that, oh yeah. I would I would I would also put in with that whole fault big cool rules and follow them. Plan mm-hmm. out all of your rules. If this is the kind of writer you are, if you like to plan things out, plan out mm-hmm. all of your rules and then don't give us all of them immediately. Like you don't have oh, to yeah, like don't... you don't have to like spill everything. Oh, beginning.
1: don't tell us all the rules. No. Don't no. tell us all the rules.
0: We can make that even even an aspiring writer tip for our next... Yeah, we'll just
1: say it in this one. We'll just say it in this one. If you're going to make cool rules, don't tell us all of them because figuring out what the cool rules are is part of the fun of reading. And then being right about the cool rules is even better. Like, have rules, be consistent. uh,
0: Have fun. Make something you like.
1: Yeah. Um, And then have characters react naturally given that those are the rules.
0: Favorite Or
1: unnaturally if they refuse to accept that those are the roles and that'll <laughs> that's gonna happen later in this series.
0: Um, favorite so non-dramatic thing in this book.
1: What do you think? Uh I was hoping you go first. I... Oh, I can go first. <laughs> okay. Um
0: I really like the bells. I just like I yeah. just like the characters. I like the I like the fact that the bells have personalities, and mm-hmm. that is totally something that will get fleshed out later. But I like that the bells have personalities, <laughs> and I like yeah. that they they want to sound on their own accord and they have their own agenda, and it it entertained mm-hmm. me a lot, um, so much mm-hmm. so. And I actually told Robin about this we were like, just talking about the book before I actually have made a D&D character before and I want to play her more that is loosely based off of this um, mm-hmm. and she is a combo class sorcerer bard and she has her weapons of choice out of the bells um,
1: nice and eventually if
0: I ever play her enough to level her up enough I want her to take something that makes her more of a necromancer um, mhm but
1: I, I like that the bells have personalities. Oh, um... Think about doing cleric instead of sorcerer. Ugh. Gross. Uh. uh you don't want to memorize spells? <laughs> I, 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 I...
0: There's other reasons I chose sorcerer. I can tell you about this later.
1: Okay, okay. Alright. Uh, favorite non-dramatic thing. Um, I... I liked all the creepy stuff. Um,
0: <laughs> See, you're having the problem. I mean, I like all the creepy stuff, too. This book just has something that isn't creepy that I also like, which the
1: other ones really Oh, Oh, well, that's what it was. The Sendings. The Charter Sendings. Oh, yeah. The charting Sendings, who are old and stubborn and <laughs> scrub Avery, a, a saboreal and give her a bath because they know best and she has to have a bath. And they give they give Mogget a uh, plain linen and cheap plates and Sabriel gets <laughs> an awesome tablecloth and cool plates or something. Yeah. And yeah, and then they all like had to and eat stuff out of and the the kitchen like when
0: an and so we, the we should say that
1: the Charter, say so. the Charter's yeah, the charter sendings are like magic <laughs> servants and Bespoke magic they're servants. right. They're not. Hmm. They're Sometimes not people, I would love to have
0: sentient. They have I would... been imbued with the free will to do their specific task. Mm-hmm. And I, well, they I literally, literally, literally can't think... even go too far away from their their conjuring works. Like I've, I've been
1: listening to a podcast that has me thinking intre- interesting things about sentience and personhood, and I would have finished all five books and then maybe have a debate with you about whether they're sentient and whether they're people. Um, Okay. But that's, that's totally separate. You don't have to keep this line in the podcast anyway, but I just, I, when, when we finish this and we've seen what's in all five books, um, since I've been listening to philosophers in space, I want to have a debate about whether, they're actually sentient and whether we should treat them as though they're sentient and have personhood Hmm. despite the fact that they have all been made mute because I do not think that being unable to speak should be disqualifying oh that has nothing to do with my logic for this oh oh no but I I want to get through all five and then see how I how I feel about it because I definitely have some changed assumptions
0: Oh, this
1: because they develop personalities over time, which feels uh, like. They. They, which don't fe- know. they. They. They do. They, they do. Know. They. It. Yeah. Okay, I gotta reread the other ones, but it, it, it feels like it's saying they do. Anyway, so, my favorite thing the charter sendings. And they like. Yeah, I like. I like how they act like they know best and they. Uh swear fealty not that fealty is a thing to aspire to but like it's a it's a they they acknowledge
0: the the passing of one master to another yeah
1: yeah all music used in this podcast was created by nicole as heartbeat art co and is used with permission you can follow us on twitter at books that burn all one word you can email us with questions comments or book recommendations at books that burn at yahoo.com
0: support us on patreon.com slash books that burn all patrons get access to our upcoming book list and receive a one-time shout out you can leave us an itunes review this helps people to find the show and find us on itunes stitcher google play or wherever you get your podcasts for listening. The next episode is already in your feed.